0: He tries out in a number of different contexts in a number of different ways, but you know, it doesn't really work out for him. And in order to kind of soothe the sense of disappointment that surrounds him, not um, actually getting the parts that he wanted to play, in you know, a rejection from um, a number of different shows, increasingly he finds himself in the world of social media and trying to discover you know, uh, more and more what um, life is all about. He also, uh, in, the, in the world of kind of the deep, dark internet, we, he discovers a little bit more about, hey, what is actually going on with the United States? Who is actually running the show here? And increasingly, you know, why is the United States not in the centre of the stage where it used to be? And what's happening with its domestic um, policy and its domestic uh, economy? More and more, he finds increasingly that there is um, the that there's a, what he discovers is there is a kind of a, uh, a narrative that's undermining the public narrative um, around what's actually truly happening in the states. And what he discovers is that QAnon is supplying him with a lot of answers to the problems that he sees. Increasingly, he gives his uh, thoughts and allegiance to QAnon, and then on the 6th of January this year, when the president called for the Patriots to stop the steal, Jack Angelin put on his Viking hat, painted his face with the stars and stripes, and was part of the attempted insurrection of um, Capitol Hill. A young woman uh, grows up with a really strange and deep and slightly bewildering sense of the presence of God in her life. She, um, she moves to Ireland uh, to learn English, and as part of the religious order that she is, um, has joined, she goes on a retreat. On this retreat, she, dis- she encounters the poor, and something irreparably breaks in her heart, and This woman, of course, becomes, as we know her today, as Mother Teresa. And she's one of the most significant world figures today uh, who we identify with, those who are the broken and the poor, bringing light into some very, very dark places. These two stories really show us the power of formation, the power of formation not only in our lives, but in fact the deep and incredible impact that each one of us can play to either reflect the brokenness of our world or, the, or establish cultures of beauty uh, in the world, just where uh, God has placed us. And uh, you know, human beings are always in the process of formation. You know, the stories we tell ourselves, the habits that we find ourselves involved in, the relational environments that we're a part of, they're all part of shaping us for us to become a certain kind of human being. You know, formation, at its heart, it's not a Christian thing. Formation is actually a human thing. And so we're all part of the process of formation. The only real question is, what kind of human beings are you becoming? What kind of human being am I becoming? Am I becoming a person who's becoming more alive or less alive? Am I becoming a kind of person who's more generous or less generous? Am I becoming a person who's more courageous or less courageous? You know, more controlling or less controlling? You know, so the contour, and to counter this process of unintentional uh, formation, St. Augustine's is organizing um, itself around the conviction. That knowing the person of Jesus is actually at the very centre of human flourishing, and that that knowing takes place in a certain context. That knowing takes place by joining a community of disciples where through teaching, practice and community, we're learning to practice the way of Jesus. And at the very heart of this, right at the very heart of this, is this core theological conviction. And it's the core theological conviction about the importance of your life. The importance of your life. You know, that your life and the formation of your life is incredibly important to God and it's actually incredibly important to the world that we live in. And that's because, you know, God wants to work through your life to establish uh, cultures of beauty in the midst of brokenness. It's actually your life that, you know, God works through the world. God's just not going to do this by God's self. That was never the plan. When you look through the Bible, what you see is God's intention for humanity, God's intentions for the world, is to partner with human beings to work through our lives to bring justice and mercy and kindness and beauty uh, into this world. And so that the way that we are formed, the way that you are formed, will actually determine so much whether you reflect into this world the culture of the, the sphere of the world that you're a part of, or whether you can actually be a part of renewing the culture that you're in. So what I want to do is launch into this kind of, this is kind of all catch up really, but what I want to do is unpack a little bit more this foundational text from uh, Matthew 28, 16, because it's not only the launch pad of this little series around vision, but it's actually been the launch pad for us in Augustine since uh, day one. So allow me to read this uh, to you. Here we go. Now, this is um, after the resurrection. As Andy said, we're kind of going to be we're heading towards Easter, full steam ahead, the very centerpiece of our Christian faith. Um, you know, again, as Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, you know, we of all people are to be pitied. You know, there's something happened in the resurrection that's actually changed the world. God steps into the drama of human brokenness and brings about newness and kindness and actually launches something new. So it's, you know if you're around, it would be wonderful if we can gather together and really celebrate that. So this is happening after the resurrection. Jesus is with his disciples and um It says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. By the way, 11 disciples, it's actually not too many. When you think about it, you know, Christianity had a huge effect in the Roman world, and this is what kicked it off, 11 disciples. Yet by 300 AD, you know, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman world, deeply impacting every sector of society. And it started with 11 disciples. We've got more than 11 disciples here. I'm just trying to get us to, like, think about what we can possibly do. I'll just put that there for you. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. Last week, we focused on this thing called the imperative clause um, within the statement, which is, yeah, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And, and so the idea here is we kind of focused on this word go, which is um, a particular Greek word. For, you know, for us, we kind of get this idea that we're here, and the idea is we're to go over here and make disciples. But the um, actual Greek word is the word "prouthentes," and it's this aris passive participle. And it's not so much we're here, and when we get here, we're to make disciples, but rather the sense is that we as a group, we as a group of disciples, our role is to be creating an environment of discipleship and, you know, as we go. It's not something that we do on the side. It's absolutely critical to who we are. And the real kind of at a deeper level, which is very counter to our Western thinking, the idea is, as we all engage in the process of disciple making, we ourselves become true disciples. So it's the idea is, as we all do, you individually become It's kind of a bit, it's not our usual way of thinking, right? But this is the sense behind um, the imperative clause here that, you know, it's this idea we're all to be engaged in this process of making disciples. And as we're all contributing, part of creating this environment, um, then that's how we become uh, disciples ourselves. So what I want to do today is quite simply just drill into the next little part, this little end part here, all nations. And for us, we usually think of that word of you know all nations being like a nation, like being a country or with a government and a border. But um, the, again, the Greek behind this is the word ethne, um, from which we get words such as ethnic or ethnicity. Now, for sure, the first early Christians, they, like, um, like the missionaries who, came, who were invited to Aotearoa New Zealand, a lot of them came, you know, people moved overseas. But The actual vast majority of the early Christians lived in the major cities of the world. They lived in uh, Jerusalem, Rome, Ephesus, uh, Corinth. These are big, massive, multicultural cities. And so they didn't actually have to go anywhere to get in touch with the ethnic, ethnicities or, the, you know, all these different cultures of the world. All the different cultures of the world were right, you know, there. Antioch, which is a you know, big city in Syria, was a, you know, these are some of the biggest cities um, of the Roman Empire. It had 19 different cultural uh, segments that made up the city um, because, you know, they had, had all these ethnicities in their little pockets because there were so many of them and there was this intercultural warfare. But the idea is that all the ethnicities of the world were a part of these really big uh, international cities. And, you know, cities are hugely important uh, in the Bible. And, you know, we often don't feel this way, um, but, you know, the Bible is actually overwhelmingly positive uh, towards cities. When you track the whole narrative arc of the Bible, it begins in a garden in Genesis 1, and it ends up in a city in Revelation 21. The Bible is hugely positive uh, towards cities, and that's because... Cities are to a culture and a society what a soul is like to a human being. Cities are formational environments. They shape us. Cities shape the culture that they are a part of. And so they're hugely, hugely important um, in terms of how the Bible sees them. And we kind of get the feel of this kind of ourselves, don't we? We not only see this, but more likely we feel this all the time. We feel the formational power of cities. You know, and as the key generators of culture and the key shapers uh, of our culture, our cities, our Western cities, have a very, very clear picture of the kind of person it wants you to become. And look, this is not all bad. I'm not being negative here. You know, for, you know, our cities today, they want us to recycle. They want us to use public transport. You know, they want us to be inclusive, and rightly so, to be really highly allergic to kind of notions of, you know, racism and sexism. My, my point here is that cities are hugely formational environments. They shape our culture. They're the major force in shaping our culture, and therefore, they're the major force in shaping our desires as people and our lives, and there's this famous story in the Bible um, called the Tower of Babel story that gives us a real insight into how all this works. I'm going to read it to you, and I just want to unpack it just, just super quickly. So here's this. It's this, this story comes from, again from the first um, pages of the Book of Genesis, and it's really one of the first kind of mentions of cities uh, in the Bible. And it says this, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar. Sounds like we're in Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? And they settled there. And then they came and said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, back in the day, all you had was bricks, I'm sorry, all you had was stone. All buildings, all cities were just made of stone. But these guys here, they're making bricks, and usually what you'd have for mortar would just be lime and sand, but these guys are using bitumen. This is a city being built with the very latest technology. This is the leading edge uh, of technology. This is what's happening in the story. And then they said to, uh, then they said to one another, "Let's come and let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth." The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, "Look, they are one people, and they have all, sorry, and they all have one language. And this, is, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. nothing." That they will purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth." Now, this is, I mean, one of the many strange, you know, the Bible's full of many strange stories, and this is actually one of them. Um, yeah, so there's no apology there, but this is, um, and it's really strange because in our minds we go like, oh, what's the problem? You know, why is it a problem that, you know, there's human cooperation, there's one language, uh, surely this is a good f- you know, this is a good thing. And, of course, in, in the way that we tell stories, that's the, both the start of the story and the end of the story, right? Which is where you normally get the moral of the story from. However, in Hebrew storytelling, Hebrew storytelling, you have the, um, the point of the story happens right in the middle. And this story is really about the building of a society around the ideology of progress. And it's about the ideology of progress that is in the, made in the absence of, of God's presence, and sure there's human cooperation, which is amazing, and they've got one language which is absolutely amazing as well. These are all wonderful gifts of God, actually, to this culture, but what they end up doing is levering these um, wonderful gifts to try to build an advancement in society or progress human society, but in the absence of God's presence. This is a story about progress without presence. And you know, so often we find ourselves, don't we, in a not dissimilar situation. We want justice, we want mercy, we want the idea of you know, social equality, all these wonderful things that are part of the kingdom of God, we want those things, we just don't want the king. Does that make sense? We want the kingdom, we just don't want uh, the king. And as a result of trying to build this out, what, the, what happened was the system broke down and it led to the scattering of humanity. And you see this a number of times in the Bible, this dynamic at work, because there seems to be something built hard, kind of hardwired within to creation. There's kind of like this Babel kill switch. Whenever there's a moment, or whenever there's a thinking, or whenever there's a trying to attempt to do humanity, or advance humanity without the presence of God, usually what happens is this. That society or that thing usually starts to tend towards injustice and then collapses under its own weight and um, it doesn't last. And I think this provides us a really, really helpful lens on how we're to think about our current world, a kind of globe, I mean, I suppose within Western culture more particularly, our disenchantment with uh, Western secularism. You know, secularism has been the cultural software that the West has been running on for the last three to four hundred years, and it's often associated with these three interrelated ideas. Secularism is often related to the idea that, um, you know, through science and rationality, we can actually penetrate the mysteries of the world, and that will kind of allow us to understand all things. Then, she's kind of the idea of, through um, the application of technology, Education or democracy will actually be able to solve all the problems of the world. You know, you think about it today. Whenever there's a problem, what do we need more of? Yeah, you know, we can find more technology. Oh, we need more education. That'll sort it out. Oh, if only they had democracy, that would definitely sort that out. Is that right? So we've got kind of got um, the idea of science and rationality, then the application of technology and um, and. Uh, education and democracy, but that, when you add all that together, there's a kind of a, an air that we're kind of on this path of inevitable progress, that when this is happening, progress will absolutely happen. The mantra, you know, each and every way, things will be getting better each and every day. It's kind of up, up, for in a way, for us in the West. Now, please hear me correctly on this. You know, science, technology, um, education, these democracy, these are all wonderful, wonderful gifts. Don't give them up. And please, you're going to say, go and get a jab when it comes, right? It's going to help us all. So you don't want to be kind of missing, these are all God-given gifts. But it's just when these are used to replace God or replace the center of our lives, that's when things get problematic. And that's where we've got to uh, in the West today. And so our cultural software is beginning to fail and we kind of get the feel that it's actually not working right. It's kind of like Windows 95 writ large. You know, it's not really working the way it was intended to work um, because you know, according to a number of different metrics, you know, there's never been a better time to be alive. According to, you, know, you can see this, in all, according to most metrics, for example, um, you know, the rates of, of starvation globally have never, ever been lower. Rates of literacy has never, ever been higher. Access to healthcare has never been higher. You know, it's like this is the best time to be living in many many cases. But what we also discover is there's this kind of ambient level of anxiety that's pervading Western culture, and that's increasing massively. You know, all our, our use of, you know, the huge amount of freedom that we have has somehow left us, you know, kind of feeling empty and, you know, alone. And particularly, kind of the use of technology has left many of us, you know, uh, in the sense of like disconnected from our families and our culture, and the sense of aloneness is pervading uh, Western culture. And this is from the Surgeon General from the U.S. You know, being alone, human beings we're relational creatures. Um, Loneliness takes 15 years off your life. It's exactly the same as if you smoke 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness contributes to our mortality. Because again, we're relational creatures, and what's super interesting as well is, you know, part of the shock that many of us feel. I mean, I'm just saying, part of the shock, or what contributes also to some of the shock when we see the, you know, the brutality that's been happening in the states with, you know, with um, terribly with, uh, you know, with a lot of um, Black Americans and what's been happening with the police there, and recently the increase of hate crimes against Asian Americans. You know, in New York alone, 150% last year, hate crimes against Asian Americans this has increased. But part of like what shocks us about that the, is that we kind of, this, it punctures a massive hole in the idea of inevitable progress. You know, we kind of see that kind of this barbaric behavior and the thinking is, I thought we got beyond that. Or, I thought we kind of left racism behind. But in fact, it's kind of still in, you know, the bloodstream of many um, elements of Western culture. And so for many of us, the life script that Western secular handed us has not delivered on what it promised, and that's why it's just so important. That's why we're so centred here on creating a community where through teaching, practicing community, people who are completely, completely starving for meaning in their life can come and receive meaning. People who are completely lost have no sense of community, or are dying for just a life map, or a map from which they can actually, you know, learn to flourish and grow, can come and learn what it means to become fully alive by being formed by the way of Jesus. That's why it's so important that we get this stuff right. I remember um uh at, I remember one time we ran this course and uh, it's a kind of course about some people who had some questions about Jesus and you know what's the deal with the church, and you know I love all that stuff. So um, a person came along and she um, she was invited to come along to the course, and I just love her response to coming along to this course. Uh, she said, oh, "The person who invited me it was just so very very kind of her to invite me along. It was out of kindness." Isn't that interesting, right? So often, you know, it's at, you know, a person's experience of coming and learning about who Jesus is in this way of life that leads to human flourishing was seen as pure kindness. And I just can't wait, you know, one of our strategic goals this year is we get Alpha up and running, and I can't wait to do this. And Because again, it's an extension of kindness, isn't it? It's an extension of welcome uh, to people who are completely lost. Um, but again, please hear me clearly, the whole kind of success of St. Augustine's is not going to be about how many people we get in the door here and how many people we get to be a part of these seats here. I mean, that would, we need to do more of that, and that's going to be wonderful. But the real success of St. Augustine's is actually, of course, you know, how many people we get to send and the influence that you have in renewing the culture out there. So the point of us gathering here is for the purpose of actually being formed so that we can be sent into the world to to contribute uh, out there. This is the world that God is calling us to be salt and light. This is the world we're called to be a part of. And so every, you know, every sphere of culture either moves towards brokenness or it moves towards beauty, the move towards brokenness is the default. The move towards beauty requires intervention. It requires intervention. And the vision of Jesus and the command of Jesus is that whatever sphere of culture we are a part of, you know, our formation, our renewal, is to, for the purpose of carrying the renewing culture of the kingdom to establish beauty in the midst of brokenness. Trevor Wax uh, wrote this. He said, Confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord should do more than shape our church life and a few spiritual habits here and there. As kingdom people, we must be actively spreading God's reign into every segment of society. We should be influencing the world by bringing God's love and grace to all, whether through the arts, through business, through politics, or through other vocations. This is the core of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just that we have a great time here. That's important, right? That's hugely important. But it's actually out there. That's where the money lies. I'm going to have a little sip. How are we all going? Yeah, loving the fire hose effect. In uh, uh, 2006, this guy, um, Will Phelps, who is a researcher in um, New South Wales, he did this, um, he presented uh, his findings of a study that he did and it's, he's part of the um, Organisational um, Behaviour Research um, of New South Wales. He published his research, the, the research was called Negative Group Members and Dysfunctional Groups. Such a classic management research title, right? Put that on a T-shirt. Um, and what Will Phelps did this is this amazing bit of research, but he got a number of groups together. Again, this is management research, so don't expect anything too exciting. But he got a number of groups together. And what he did is he gave each of these groups, there was, you know, 50 or 60 of them, he gave each of these groups a really simple management task, which they were to achieve in 45 minutes. Now, into some of the groups that were there doing this, you know, management task for 45 minutes, um, they inserted an actor. And this actor was to play one of three personality types. One person was to, he was to play, sorry, the actor in one group was to play the depressive pessimist, and that was the person who basically always um, kind of would complain and would doubt about the group's ability to get anything done. Um, In another group, this actor played the jerk, and that person, um, (laughs) do not start pointing to the person beside you, whatever you do at this point. This will not go well for you. And this <laughs> was, like, got to um, play the part of this thing, the jerk, which was basically, they always was very critical of other people's contributions and basically offered nothing of themselves. And uh, another person um, this person would play was the slacker. And so in terms of the group, they're trying to get all this group work done. they would ask this person to contribute, and they would just say, oh, look, just whatever. You know, not get it done, just mail it in, you know? who work with people like this? Do not agree on any of this. So, um, now, it's... In terms of organizational theory, a lot of the kind of, um, I suppose, uh, the wisdom of the day says that the group, actually the values of the group, um, helps individuals to conform to uh, the performance of the group. So, you know, you've got the group is much stronger than the individual. However, a lot of like organizational research didn't do the, um, uh, didn't do the experiment the way that Will Phelps did. And what Will Phelps discovered, quite depressingly, is in fact, into each of the groups in which they inserted the bad apple actor, there was actually a, um, a decline in productivity by 30 to 40%. So the group didn't contribute, so the group actually declined in efficiency by 30 to 40%. And actually, what's even more depressing, <laughs> in fact, what they observed was the group eventually took on uh, the personality of uh, the bad apple actor. So this is actually not looking super well. As part of the whole experiment, they also observed, though, there was one group where, actually, they did really well. They, can, they still just kept going. It was, it was it kept going fine. And within this group, there was, it's actually because of there was one person who had this amazing ability just to grab that situation and flip it and um, you know, contribute and draw people in and provide a sense of safety and encouragement. And this one person was actually the son of a diplomat, and they actually learned this way of life and was formed in this way of life at home. And I think this little experiment says something about the importance that each one of us can have in all the different cultural spheres that we live in. This is the importance of formation, and indeed, the importance of your formation. You know, so often we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, I'm part, of this, you know, I'm part of this big corporation, I'm part of this school, I'm part of this environment, what can I contribute? Actually, the science says you can contribute way more than you think. This is what Jesus says when he says to us, you're the, to be the salt of the world, like salt by itself, right? It's not to be the major thing, but it contributes a huge amount. So th- I want wanting to say that you know so often we find ourselves so often we downgrade uh, the influence we can have um, within the culture within the worlds that we participate in, and what I'm saying to you today is in fact your formation is hugely important because that formation actually contributes uh, hugely or could contribute uh, hugely to the cultural sphere where um, God has uh, placed you. You know, we're, again, we're always formed by the culture we're in. A culture or our work environments or wherever we are, is tends towards brokenness, and that can shape us. That's the default. In order to bring about beauty, we actually, that actually requires intervention, and it requires your intervention, and because it requires your intervention, it actually requires an intentionality around our spiritual formation. You know, our formation is gonna be the very thing that carries the renewing culture of the kingdom of God into those cultural spheres where we're at. And that's why, again, the key for us here is not that we would gather heaps and heaps of people here, it's rather we'd be formed here and be sent out into the world to be salt and light and to be renewing culture to be establishing cultures of beauty in the midst of brokenness, to be establishing cultures where human life uh, can inflate flourish. But the key part of that is, we ourselves have to be flourishing. We ourselves need to be renewed. We ourselves need to have our lives centered uh, on the person of Christ and we're having the power of God renew our lives. This is not something we just race off and do by ourselves. This is not by grabbing a program and doing six easy steps to cultural renewal. Actually, it requires us to be intentionally being formed by the power and presence of God, and this is why we're putting so much heat and so much focus um, around what does it mean to learn the way of Jesus? Because then we can't be establishing flourishing if you yourself are not flourishing, and this is why you know, we're you know we're so dedicated to this, not only because you know it's good for us, but it's in fact good for the worlds where God uh, has placed us. So what I want to do now is um, we're going to head into a time of worship. We're going to have a time where we can uh, take communion together, and we're going to have this opportunity as well. We're going to I would love to hear from you your stories about where God's been. At work. And what's so important about that, it's like Andy said, is that this is, you know, creates this environment of where we hear God at work. So often we ourselves are not feeling that encouraged, but when someone else has an encouraging story, that feeds our faith and grows our faith. God is wanting us to step into the world uh, with confidence, with a real assurance that He's with us. And again, the optimism is not lying in our own strength, but actually God uh, working through us. Uh, to bring renewal, so let's us uh, stand together, and um, we just I just want to give us some space as we head into communion, and to allow the Spirit of God to speak into your life. So let's just stand for a moment. Father, as we stand here, we want to invite your spirit into our lives. Father, you don't require us to be perfect. You just require us to be open and available. And so, Father, here we are. We are open to you today in all that you have for us. We're so grateful, Lord, that you're a God about flourishing. You're about taking us where we're at, And growing that, redeeming that. Thank you so much that you're for us, you're not against us. We are absolutely nothing without you. We quickly wither and we quickly kind of lose the spark of life. And so today, Father, we want to recenter our hearts and our lives around you, and in particular by taking this bread and this wine, the symbol of Jesus' life, And we remember that on the night before he died, your son Jesus Christ took bread. He broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. And when you do this, remember me. On that same night, taking a glass of wine, cup of wine, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink this all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink this, remember me. And so as your disciples, we're taking this bread, we're taking this wine, and Father, we're centering our lives on you. As we take this commission seriously to be an environment that generates disciples, that makes disciples, be renewing us, be including us more uh, in this process. So as we step into that, we ourselves are renewed.